So um, since it's Thanksgiving, um, I thought we'd start this morning with just a little bit of fun, Thanksgiving fun. And um, so a um, couple cartoons for you that I kind of picked out this week that I thought were kind of fun. Uh, just flip over the slide, Evan, if you would. Blind farmer, moo, moo. Turkeys trying to avoid their inevitable fate. Smart turkeys, I'd say. Uh, next one. I don't know about this new guy. Seems like maybe he's hiding from something. And, uh, okay, next one. Um, I like this one. Eat ham. Eat ham. Poor turkeys around this time of the year. How about this next one? What are you thankful for? Vegetarians. Indeed. Next one. I like this one. This is kind of maybe if you have like a crazy uncle that's coming over today for food or something like this, by about 8 o'clock tonight, that's what he's going to look like. And uh, how about this next turkey one? Bring me Solo and a Wookiee. That's pretty good, isn't it? That looks exactly like him. And uh, next one over. Uh, and this is how you're going to feel after Thanksgiving. After the, uh, you know... Unbuckle the belt a little wider. But hey, uh, we love Thanksgiving. We love the food. I mean, it's, it's such a great time of the year, isn't it? Now, these days at the river, we're in a series called Tomorrow People. Tomorrow People. And, and this is um, a series in which we're, we're talking about what it means to live in the light of eternity. Not just to live for today, as so many people do in our culture. To live in the, in the light of the, the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. This reality that Jesus has brought near. I mean, we're talking about living in such a way um, that we recognize that eternity, eternity is already in session. And the most important decision that we have to make is whether or not we're going to be a part of it. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to tie together this idea of living in the light of eternity with gratitude. Because after all, today is Thanksgiving. So let me start with some, some powerful verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 28 to 29. But before I read this, let me just set this up for you a bit. In the passage that we're about to read, the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand a very important a very salient fact about the kingdom, this reality that Jesus has brought near. Now, now in case um, you're new this week or in case you haven't been here for a little while, let me, let me just make sure you're clear on what the kingdom is because it's, it's really important. This is, this is so pivotal for understanding the person and the work of Jesus. When he was here, Jesus taught that there is a domain called the kingdom of God. It is the range of God's effective will. It is wherever God's will is done. It is the sphere in which everything that happens meets with, with, with God's approval and delight. Everything is precisely as God wants it to be, where the greatest humble themselves like little children. There's no big shots, no arrogant egos. No one ever has an anxious thought. Every encounter between people causes them to walk away with more joy than they had before they met. Neil Plantinga, in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, gives us a wonderful picture of what the kingdom of God might look like on earth. He writes this. 
It would include, for instance, strong marriages and secure children. Nations and races in this world would treasure differences in other nations and races as attractive, important, and complementary. Government officials would still take office. After all, somebody has to decide which street gets cleaned on Tuesday and which on Wednesday. But, but to nobody's surprise, they would tell the truth and freely praise the virtues of other public officials. Highway overpasses would be free of graffiti. Business associates would rejoice in one another's promotions. Intercontinental ballistic missile silos would be converted into training tanks for scuba divers. The most pressing job done by policemen and fire mounts would be to get a cat down from a tree. Newspapers would be filled with well-written accounts of acts of great moral beauty, and at the end of the day, people would sit on their porch with a glass of wine and read those stories and savor them and call out to others about them. Isn't that good? I mean, that's the kind of life that Jesus brought near. That's, that's a little picture of the kingdom. Now, maybe you're saying this morning, all right, that's great, Pastor Ruth, but, but, but wait a minute. I mean, that certainly doesn't describe our world today. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's kind of a mess, if you haven't noticed. Well, that's true. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is this. Other kingdoms still remain. Other wills that are opposed to God's will are still present here on earth. This is actually the origin of all that's evil and sinful in the world. And one of those wills, by the way, is your will. And one of those wills is my will. That's why what it means to enter the kingdom of God, what it means to be saved, so to speak is to surrender your will to God. Like Jesus, to say to the Father, not my will, but yours be done in my life. It is to take our little kingdom and to lay it at the feet of King Jesus. One day, the Bible says, all opposition to God's kingdom will come to an end. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, all those wills that are opposed to God's will will no longer have the opportunity to oppose God. And as bad as the things might look right now in the, in the world, God's kingdom will come, this future will come, this beautiful tomorrow that we're talking about in this series. Okay, back to the Hebrews passage and the important and salient fact about the kingdom. The writer of Hebrews writes this in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Let me read that again for you. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Did you catch it? Did you catch what we are receiving? On this Thanksgiving Day 2019, we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. That's the title of this message, The Unshakable Kingdom. And it says right here in this passage, because we are receiving this, we ought to be thankful. 
We have um, this tradition in our house at Thanksgiving time, and um, I know this is a tradition shared by a lot of people, but we usually go around the table and everyone has to say what they're thankful for, right? And some are thankful for school, some are thankful for friends and, and you know, for their promotion or, or whatever has happened in the past year. And that's all great, and I hope you do it in your place because it's, it's, it's a great way of sharing um, what we're actually thankful for and reflecting on the true meaning of, of, of what it means to live a, a thankful life. But, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that beyond all of the furniture of this world and, and our day-to-day concerns, in the big scheme of things, on this Thanksgiving Day, what we really ought to be thankful for is God's unshakable kingdom. Now, let's get more specific. And I want to talk about three aspects of the kingdom that we ought to be thankful for. And the first is this. God's relentless love. God's relentless love. Now, I was going to wax eloquently about this um, this morning, but I remembered what happened last week. After the service, um, usually about twice a month, I go across the street to the old age home that's there, and we have a service at 2 o'clock. And last uh, Sunday afternoon, I, I had this message, and I was going over in the office before I went over there, and, and I thought, this just, I don't think this is going to speak to those older folks. Because um, I actually wrote it for a much younger uh, church, you guys. Anyway, so I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do? Because I didn't have access to the computer, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to try to read some passages from the Bible that talk about God's love and that are, are just so comforting with this idea of God's incredible, deep, reckless love for us. And, um, and so I, I did that, and it, and it really touched them. You know, sometimes we, you know, as pastors, we, we need to get out of the way and just let the Bible speak. And just let God's word speak in all of its beauty. So let me, let me read just a few passages for you today about this relentless love of God that's a part of his unshakable kingdom. First of all, Romans 8. And maybe you want to just close your eyes uh, this morning and just listen to these words. and Just drink them in. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How beautiful is that? How comforting is that? And then Isaiah 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Those words, my unfailing love for you, will not be shaken. Nothing can change God's love for you. How about Psalm 36? Your love, Lord, 
reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You're going to do some feasting today. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And then 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And finally, the love passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I think about that. Love, the unshakable love of God. It just, it never fails. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's not just talking about human love because we all know that, that, that human love fails, right? All the time. And, and some of you here this morning know that all too well. Someone that's, that's quite close to me is going through this right now and, and he sends me texts and emails on almost a regular basis because, or, or on a daily basis rather because his heart is just broken over this love that he has lost. Human love fails. But God's love can't fail. Why? Because God is love. It's what defines him. It's who he is. God can't help but love you. From the moment he thought you up, he hasn't stopped loving you. At 16 weeks in the womb, you had fingerprints. You were the unique person that you are already, and God never stopped loving you. Think about that. You know, we're going to sing um, a song a little later on in the service called The Reckless Love of God. It's one of my favorite songs these days. And... Um, when I was writing this message, I, uh, I texted Nathan and I said, oh, by the way, we got to sing Reckless Love of God. And he says, oh, that's, that's so cool. Because I just got off the phone with Mia and we said to each other, you know what song we should sing this week? The Reckless Love of God. And so we knew it was a God moment. But listen to these words now because we're going to sing them later. And man, you got to drink these words in. They're so beautiful. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. I'm so glad his love chases me, chase, chased me down. Fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless 
love of God. You see, when you know that, when that defines you, when you receive that into yourself, man, that gives you confidence. Man, that gives you peace in this life, right? That gives you joy, the joy of saying, nothing, nothing can ever change that. So many things about my life can change. We live in this world that's shaking all the time in different ways, but the unshakable love of God. It's a part of his unshakable kingdom. We can never lose that. All right, second aspect of the kingdom that we ought to be thankful for, and it's this, our glorious and inexhaustible inheritance. Our glorious and our inexhaustible inheritance. I was reading um, an article this week about inheritance in Canada, and did you know that there are currently 1.8 million unclaimed bank balances in Canada? for a total of, get this, $678 million, all right? Some of it might be yours. You never know, right? This includes savings and checking accounts, bank drafts, certified checks, official checks, money orders, traveler's checks, credit card balances, term deposits, guaranteed investment certificates, and depository receipts. By the way, in case you're wondering, because I was wondering, Unclaimed balances of less than $1,000 are held for 30 years. And balances of $1,000 or more are held for 100 years. Interest is paid only for the first 10 years of custody. And if, if you don't claim it, it goes back to the bank. The Bank of Canada transfers funds to the Receiver General for Canada. Now, with that in mind, imagine if you discovered that you are the recipient of an unclaimed inheritance. You get a phone call this afternoon. And we just, since we're fantasizing here, let's go all the way. Let's imagine that it's $2 million, right? Apparently, some great uncle that you've never even heard of, that you didn't even know was rich, had this fortune, and they left it to you, and suddenly, you are in the money, right? I mean, just as you project this out in your mind, right? You're probably thinking, wow, I would completely change my life. I could pay off my bills. I could do some vacationing. I could, I could buy some of those toys that I've always wanted to buy, right? And then maybe at some point, hopefully, your altruistic side would kick in and you might think, wow, I could also give some money to people that I know in my life who really need money. I, I could fund some important causes. I could, I could, you know, I could sponsor another child in Africa. Heck, I might even tithe, Right? See, one of the things that I think an inheritance like this would do is to build just a little bit of security in our life, right? I mean, if the truth be told, you'd have a little less fear for tomorrow because you know, as a result of this inheritance, that basically, between now and when you die, at least financially, and at least if you didn't completely blow the money, right, that you'd be okay. Right? That you'd have enough resources to take care of yourself, your family, and maybe even some other people. But now, here's the thing. If you know and love Jesus, if you decide to follow him, to be his apprentice, you actually have a glorious and inexhaustible inheritance. You really do. L listen to these words from the book of Ephesians. 
And, and Paul, you know, this is chapter one, and he, he has this, this wonderful prayer for, for his, his apprentices, for Jesus' Jesus's apprentices in, in Ephesus. And he prays this. He prays, I keep asking in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And in this, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, Paul is saying to these Ephesians, he's saying, you've got an inheritance. Maybe you didn't know this, but it's a glorious, unbelievable, inexhaustible inheritance. And, and tomorrow people, right, People who live in the light of eternity, they, they recognize this. They realize this. And they begin to live in the light of this. Now, you might be wondering um, this morning, what's the nature of this inheritance, right? Well, simply put, it's our adoption as God's sons and daughters into his eternal family, all right? You think about that. Adopted by the Father. Adopted by the God who made this place. Who made this universe. And you're not, I mean, you're, you're, you're now called an heir, right? An heir to the family fortune. So how big is God's family fortune? Two million bucks? No. It's everything, all right? There's some other aspects of this inheritance. It's the blessing of being with God and knowing God for all eternity, right? See, sons and daughters, they always have special access, right, to their father. I mean, a slave might think twice before going to the master, right? But a son or a daughter is always ready to knock on the door. I mean, I have an office at home and, my, and I'm trying to get something done and it's knock, knock, hey, dad, right? And that happens a lot. But they know, my sons and daughters know, that they have access to me. And, and, and that's what we have. And not just, you know, for today, but for all eternity. We, we can source his love, his grace, his wisdom. Think about that. You can source God's wisdom for all eternity. His power, his beauty for all the ages to come. Right? What an inheritance you have, if you know and love Jesus. And, and now, here's something to understand. It starts now. It, it starts now. This isn't something that's, you know, just going to happen in the sweet by and by. No, it's available to you right now. You can have a rich, moment-by-moment, gratitude-soaked relationship with God now. You can access his wisdom now. You can know the confidence and peace that comes with being his beloved son and daughter now. You can know his nearness through the power of the Holy Spirit now. You can live in a community without walls, the walls of racism or sexism or, 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 or political divide now. Dallas Willard writes this, eternal life in the individual does not begin after death, but at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into a life interactive with himself and his kingdom. I mean, God is not, he's not waiting for eternity to begin. God lives in it right now, 
friends. It is the interactive fellowship and joy that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is at the center of the universe, right? I mean, eternity is rolling along, and we, we now are invited to be a part of it now. Now certainly, as long as we live in the world, we have much to wait for. We still await for the fullness of God's kingdom, all right? I mean, we live in this already but not yet kingdom. I mean, death, death still robs us of those we love. Children in this world still go hungry. Refugees have no place to live. We lose our jobs or our dreams or our loved ones. Our bodies age and decay every day. When I look in the mirror, I'm reminded of that, right? Paul wrote that the creation itself is groaning for the day when it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. All right? I mean, to, to anyone who wonders, along with that old neurotic Jack Nicholson movie character, right? What if this is as good as it gets, right? Paul says that not only will we, but all creation, think about that, all creation will one day taste the freedom and glory of the children of God. What would become of us, asked John Calvin, if we did not take our stand on hope? You have a glorious and inexhaustible inheritance, and it's far, far better than anything this world could ever give you. It's part of God's unshakable kingdom, and it's something for which we ought to be deeply, deeply thankful. Every day we ought to pray, Father, thank you that you have made, that you have made us your sons and daughters through Jesus' death on the cross. We don't deserve it, we couldn't earn it, but we receive it. And help us to live confidently and fearlessly in this reality, right? Everything that God has, right? Is yours. You're the heirs of the kingdom if you know and love the Lord. So just think about what security that builds into your lives. It's part of the unshakable kingdom of God. One last thing. One last aspect of this kingdom that you ought to be thankful for. An eternal home. An eternal home. You know, there's no word in the English language um, that is as evocative or as powerful as this one little word, home. I mean, it can fill your heart. It can, it can make you smile. It can make you cry. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how independent you may be. I don't care how much you have achieved. That one little word touches the absolute deepest places of the human heart. Home. And we think about home around this time of the year, don't we? I mean, Thanksgiving is a time to be at home with family. Now, I know with as many people gathered in this place, um, while for some of you the word home evokes wonderful memories, for others of you not so much, right? It would be nice, it, wouldn't it, if every single member of your extended families, the one you were going to meet, some of you, around the Thanksgiving table, was a model of spiritual health and emotional maturity, but for some of you, that's not a reality, is it? Some of you may need to schedule a little therapy after this weekend, right? Because um, there's this gap, right? There's always this gap. This gap between our homes as it is now and what we desire from home, right? 
There's this gap between what we need in terms of feeling fully and completely at home and what we actually experience in this world. You know, there's a very poignant um, line in Psalm 90 about this. And for those of you who don't know, Psalm 90 was written by Moses. And if you know something about Moses' life, when he, he was born, he was born um, in, in Egypt when Israel was in slavery there. So in this sense, he was, he was kind of in exile um, in this foreign land, even as he grew up. And because of what happened to him in, in, in Egypt, um, this episode in which he was trying to break up a fight, and, and, and he ended up having to flee Egypt and live in the desert with his uncle Laban. And all his life, right, all his life, he wanted to come home, but he could never quite do that. I mean, he was called to go back to Egypt, but then when he went back to Egypt, even then he had to lead all of the people of Israel out of their homes and into where? Into the desert. So Moses, all his life, he's longing for home, but he never quite gets there. And at the very end of his life, he's on the brink of the promised land. He's about to lead his people into the, the promised land, but God calls him at that moment to come home to him. His life ends up on Mount Pishka. But then he writes this, because this had been the longing of his heart through his whole life. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. This is the cry of a homeless man. God, you are our home. It's not a house. It's not a town. It's not a place. It's not a group of people. It's not familiarity. It's not nice furnishings. Home. Home is where God is. Moses says, to be with God. That's to be home. You know, the truth is, there's no safe place on planet Earth. There is only God. And tomorrow people realize this. That, that, a, that a home is more than a place, more than four walls and a roof. They realize that homes here on earth will come and go. And none of them is really ever safe. Because like Moses, we can always lose our home. But tomorrow people also realize that in God, in God they have a home. An eternal home. They have a place where, where all of the longings of their heart, this, this longing to be loved, this longing to be protected, this, this longing to be, to be shaped and molded and discipled, this longing to be secure, this longing to be wanted at the deepest levels of who we are. Tomorrow people realize that ultimately there's only one in whom we find that. And it's in God See, this is part of the unshakable promise of the unshakable kingdom of God. That one day, you'll get home. That, that that pathway of this life is not just some endless meandering around, not knowing what to do, that there's no purpose to life, that there's no telos to life, that we're all just, you know, groping around in the dark. No, the, the message of the Bible, the message that Jesus came to bring near 
in the gospel is that you have a home and that if you follow Jesus, one day you will find it. What is a little echo for you today sitting around a table with your family and friends and enjoying some good food and fine wine and, and, and good conversation? One day you will find a place at that great and glorious banquet of the Lord. And the wine will be flowing and the food will be delicious and calorie-free, right? And Jesus, the Lord of all, will raise his wine glass and say, welcome home. Let's pray. Father, we are... are we realize there are so many things that we can be grateful for, and we ought to be, for our family, for our friends, for the resources that you've given us, for um, the work that you call us to, uh, for so many different things, and we want to be thankful for those things, but today we want to see the big picture. We want to thank you for the unshakable kingdom that Jesus has brought near your relentless love for us. That's deeper and richer than we can ever understand. The inexhaustible inheritance that you have in store for us and that we can access already today. And a home where one day we will find ourselves, where one day we will see you face to face. Oh Lord, we long for that. Help us to follow after you. Show us the way to the Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.